If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We're continuing our series through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, last week we looked at Genesis 1 through 11. This week we are taking the rest of Genesis, Genesis 12 through 50. And uh, we're going to be reading out of Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to start with the first six verses, and uh, then I'm going to pick up uh, verses 7 through the end of the chapter uh, later on in the sermon. So Genesis 15, we'll read verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We're taking a, an overview, this 30,000-foot view, so that we can understand a little bit about the theme of these first five books that are so critical to the rest of Scripture, so critical to, uh, to our knowledge as Christians, so critical to our faith, and understanding what uh, the larger context is here so that when we do go deeper, uh, as we normally do, as we're going through Luke uh, verse by verse, uh, we can understand the broader context of what we're talking about here. So last week we went through Genesis 1 through 11. We talked about the fact that God is our king and he has established a kingdom uh, for us. And this week what we're going to be talking about is the people of God, the relationship that we have with God as his people uh, and him as our king. You know, if you look back on the history of our nation, we have a lot to be proud of. You know, we mentioned Kelly and Josh being here with us, and, and Keith as well. Um, you know, when we think about our military and the things that uh, they have done uh, to procure our freedom, we have a lot to be proud of there. We think of uh, of stories of bravery and courage in men like, like George Washington. And uh, we kind of puff out our chest and we think, yes, 
Uh, there's a lot to be proud of there. There's a lot of stories of, of defying the odds, uh, of unity, of coming together as a nation in the midst of adversity. Stories of, of freedom and of liberty and of progress and achievement, like being the first ones to put a man on the moon in 1969. These are things that we're proud of. We're proud of the men and the women who have sacrificed themselves and their families for us, for our freedom. But, unfortunately, if we're honest, there's also a lot of things in our, in our nation's history that we're not proud of. And if we are given honest history of our nation, there are some glaring things uh, that we are ashamed of as a country. The treatment of Native Americans has been a black eye on our country. Uh, slavery. Uh, I know that we're in the South and that Arkansas fought for the Confederacy. I know that I'm a Yankee from Illinois. I know that I need to be careful here. Uh, I know that 150 years later, these emotions still run deep. But I think that we can all agree on this, that slavery is wrong. And it still affects our nation today in the racial divide that we see still existing in our country. It's a black eye on our nation. Our treatment of the unborn is a huge black eye on our country. There are so many more as well. These things that we are not proud of as a nation. We do have a mixed history. Sometimes we tend to just focus on the good things that have happened. Uh, but there are these things that we are not proud of as well. You know, the same thing goes for the nation of Israel, the people of God. This history that we're going to look at this morning in Genesis 12 through 50. So as we go through this book of Genesis uh, today, we need to remember what is happening in the history of Israel. The Israelites right now are actually wandering through the desert. As they're reading this scroll from Moses, as this is being presented to them, they are wandering in the desert. They are the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they are on the way from Egypt to the promised land. And they're asking themselves questions like, who are we as a people? Who is God? What is He like? What is the nature of this relationship that we have with God? How do we define our relationship with God? And so Moses gives his people a history lesson. And as we go along, we're going to pause at different parts and draw out some pretty significant truths about the people of God and about their relationship to their king. Uh, I provided a, a handout for you with blanks in it as well. We will be going through that. Uh, you can fill that out as we go along. Uh, take that home with you as well uh, so that you can uh, look at that during the week. But Genesis 12 through 50 starts off with one of the most famous characters in all of history and certainly in the Bible, and that is Abraham. So as the curtain is raised here in Genesis 12, um, we find ourselves in Ur of the Chaldeans, and we find ourselves looking at this man, Abraham. Of course, at that time, he was known as Abram before God changed his name. And as the scene begins, God tells Abraham that it's time to move. And he takes him from Ur of the Chaldeans, takes him to Haran, and then from Haran to the land 
of Canaan. And God the king chose Abram out of all the people on the earth. And he chose to make a covenant with Abram. He chose to enter into relationship with this man. And later he would change his name to Abraham. And in this covenant, God promised Abram that he would become a great nation. He promised Abram that he would have a land of his own, the land of Canaan, the promised land where these, the, these people who are wandering in the desert are, are being led to. He promised Abraham that he would be blessed and that all nations on earth would be blessed through him. And in return, Abraham and his descendants were to keep the covenant with God. They were to remember this covenant. And as we read this morning in Genesis 15, they were to believe. And when they believed, God would credit to them as righteousness. And as a sign of the covenant, God told Abraham to circumcise every male, to circumcise himself and every male in his household. This is a sign that God set on his people so that they would be set apart from all the nations on the earth, to set apart the people of God from everyone else. And this signified and it sealed God's promise to his people. Despite the fact that Abraham and Sarah were very old, God promised them a son. At this point, Sarah was barren. Uh, she, was, uh, she had no children of her own. And when Sarah found out uh, this promise of God, you remember the story, what does she do? She laughs. And God, in his sense of humor, laughs as well, gives them a son which is named Isaac, which literally means he laughs. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise to give Abraham a great nation. It is a very small beginning. It is one son. But it is still the beginning. And later, God tests Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham obeyed God, and he would have done it. He would have gone through with the sacrifice, but God provided a substitute. This should sound familiar, because this is exactly what God does for us through Christ in the New Testament. This is a foreshadow of what God was going to do later, providing Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, the substitutionary atonement for us. So Abraham proved that he had faith in God above all else. You know, the story of Abraham gives us great insight into the people of God and their relationship with God. So by understanding the origins of their relationship with God, God's people are able to understand several things. First of all, they understand that their relationship, this covenant that they have with God, is completely initiated by God. This is very important. By His grace, God chose Abram. Abram didn't choose God. And this is big. This distinction is huge. This relationship that God has with Abram and with his people is not based on Abram. It's not based on his performance. 
It wasn't even based on Abram fulfilling uh, the sign that God gave to him of doing circumcision. Instead, it was based on Abram's faith. Faith that Abram proved by obeying God. When he told him to give the sign of circumcision, when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. This relationship is based on grace through faith. Paul draws this out in the book of Romans when he quotes quotes from Genesis, saying in Romans 4.3, he says, what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you can imagine what it was like for the people of God as they were reading this, reading this history uh, of Abraham, or, or maybe it was given orally. Um, as you can imagine, they heard this verse. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hopefully this created a huge sigh of relief in them like it should in us as well. Abraham certainly had his issues, for, but for the most part, he is a model citizen. You know, he is listed in Hebrews 11 as a model of faith. And this is what the relationship with God that we have is based on. Not on our performance, not on us choosing God. It's based simply on his grace through faith. So we move on from the story of Abraham and we get to his son Isaac. And as you know, not much is, uh, is written about Isaac and his life. Uh, most of what is written about Isaac is through his, son, uh, his sons Jacob and Esau. And so we get to the point where we read a lot about Jacob and Esau and the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, who was the younger son, tricked his brother Esau, the older son, out of his birthright and out of his blessing. And later Jacob fled because, as you can imagine, Esau was pretty upset at this. While Jacob is gone, he he marries Leah and Rachel, who were sisters, And God gave Jacob 12 sons who later go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And on his return to his homeland, Jacob wrestles with God. We have this great scene where he has this visitor in the middle of the night and he spends the evening wrestling with God. And in the morning, God touches uh, the socket of his hip and he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel meaning God prevails. And so we have the origins of the people of God, their name, meaning God prevails. We have the the 12 tribes of Israel and where they come from. And Jacob and his 12 sons prove without a doubt, without a doubt, that God's relationship with his people is based on grace. Uh, First of all, Jacob is not the guy that you would choose if you are looking to create a nation. He was the second born of a set of twins. He was the runt of the litter, so to speak. Esau was the man's man. You know, he was the person that you would think uh, God would make into a great nation. He was the rugged model of a man. You would think that he would be the one that God would choose. But instead, God chooses Jacob to fulfill his covenant. But Jacob was a scoundrel. He really was. His name means he grasps the heel, which means that he's a cheat. And we see that throughout his life. He cheats his brother uh, out of his his birthright. 
He cheats his brother out of his blessing. Later on, when he's um, living with his uncle Laban, um, he, he manipulates the flocks so that he has uh, more flocks than Laban. Uh, we even see Jacob himself being cheated uh, by his uncle Laban. Uh, the cheater is cheated uh, with uh, the incident with Leah and Rachel, and Jacob wanting to marry Rachel first, but is given Leah instead. Um, so Jacob is a scoundrel. And he has these 12 sons with his two wives and then two concubines as well. It's a mess. It is a mess. But this is who God chooses to fulfill his covenant through. And it's based on his grace. And these men, these 12 sons of Jacob, these men end up being the namesakes for the tribes of Israel. And they may have had their moments of glory, but we, the stories that we hear about them through Genesis 12 through 50 are not great stories. These men, um, uh, these men committed some pretty serious sins and crimes. Reuben, his firstborn, committed adultery with one of his father's wives. Uh, there's the story of Simeon and Levi. Uh, Levi, who would go on to, to, to father the priests of Israel. Um, these men slaughtered all the males of the town of Shechem. Granted, it was in retaliation in response to what had happened to their sister uh, being defiled, uh, but they convinced all the men of Shechem to become circumcised so that they could intermarry with them. And while these men were recovering from the sign of the covenant, they went in and they slaughtered all the men in the town. So these men used this sign, this precious sign of the covenant that God had given them. They used that for their own purposes, to slaughter a town. Judah committed adultery uh, with his daughter-in-law by thinking that she was a prostitute. And it turned out to be, like I said, her daughter-in-law, uh, his daughter-in-law. This is the man who would go on to be listed in the line of Christ. This is proof that God's relationship with his people is based on his grace. The history of the people of Israel is what it is, and it defines who they are, and it gives great insight for the people into their own story. And they needed to know this story of who they were and where they came from. And you know what one of the best things that we can do for our children is to share our stories with them as well. To share our family stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because when we share our stories with them, what we're doing is we're sharing of ourselves. Uh, what I'm not suggesting is to, uh, to share maybe the stories of your wild days with your children and joke about them, about what happened when you were in college or things like that. Um, that's not what I'm suggesting here. Um, what I'm suggesting is that we talk about ourselves and what God has brought us through in honesty, in an appropriate way. Talking about the shame that it has caused in our lives. Talking about what God has taught us through these experiences. Allowing our children to know that life isn't going to be easy all the time, but God is faithful and He is going to see us through it. That God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. Because despite the actions of these men who became the 12 tribes of Israel, 
God did not give up on his people. Even when they forgot God's covenant, he never did. And he will see us through it as well. Imagine sitting down with your child after they've done something wrong or something has happened to them. Uh, You have this teachable moment. They know what happened. They feel an immense amount of guilt and shame. Imagine how healing it is to be able to go to them and share an experience that you have had of when you were in maybe a different but similar situation. You say, you know what, son? What you did or what happened was not great. But let me tell you something about what I did when I was your age and how God taught me from that experience. God uses our past to shape who we are today. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And often it's the bad and the ugly that we learn the most about ourselves and when we see God most clearly. And that is certainly true in the history of the people of Israel. The majority of the end of Genesis is taken up by the story of the life of Joseph. And you probably are familiar with the life of Joseph. I'm not going to go into great detail about uh, his life. It's, it's laid out for us there. But he goes from the favorite son of Jacob to being sold into slavery by his brothers, to being wrongly convicted uh, of adultery, to going into the depths of prison and being raised up to the second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph's brothers intended what happened to him for evil. But what we learn from Joseph as he looks back on his life, he has this aha moment. That after he rises to second in command in all of Egypt because he uh, faithfully interprets Pharaoh's dream, that there's going to be a famine in the land. They start collecting all this grain. And through Joseph, God is able to do this amazing thing where he saves the nation of Egypt. But not only that, he saves the nation of Israel. Because his brothers come, they buy grain there, they end up moving uh, to Egypt. And what his brothers had intended for evil, Joseph realizes that God is using this for good. In Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is like the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. This doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Just look at all the things that happened to Joseph before he came to Egypt. But what this means is that God is using everything in our lives even the really hard things, to bring about his glory and our good. So if you would, turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to look at this relationship, and we're going to conclude with this, uh, this covenant relationship that God has established between he and his people. I'm going to pick up again at verse 7 and read to the end of the chapter. And God said to Abram, He said, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought these all, 
He brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So God cuts this covenant with Abram. This covenant that is for us as well. Because this covenant is for those who have the faith of Abram. Who believe what Abram believed. Now normally when a covenant is made between two parties, it's made between two parties who have something to offer each other. Think of marriage. It's a covenant between two parties who make vows to one another to love each other, to have and to hold, to death do us part. The covenant that God makes with Abram and ultimately with his people is a different kind of covenant. Normally both parties would make vows to each other and they would seal the covenant by engaging in this kind of a gruesome ceremony where they would cut these animals in half and they would walk the path between them. And what they're saying in this ceremony is that if I fail to keep my end of the bargain, if I fail in any way in this covenant, may I be like these animals. May I be literally cut in half. May I be undone. May I be destroyed if either one of us breaks this covenant. If I break this covenant, may I be cut in two. And as I said, normally both parties would walk this path together. But what do we see in this case? We see God putting Abraham into a deep sleep, and we see this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch going through it alone. And this is huge. God cuts the covenant, and he takes the punishment of breaking the covenant on himself. What God is saying is this, I will be in charge of keeping this covenant, and if this covenant is broken, I will be the one who suffers the consequences. You understand what this foreshadows, right? We know that God did take the consequences of the breaking of the covenant on himself. God walking alone through these pieces is a foreshadow of what Christ has done for us on the cross. On the cross, Christ suffered the consequences of our breaking the covenant, 
of our forgetting the covenant with God. On the cross, Christ bore the punishment that we deserved not for not keeping God's covenant. On the cross, Christ became like these animals. He was undone. He was cut in two. He was completely cut apart from God. And through Christ's work on the cross, the relationship between God and his people is then restored. So what does this tell us today about who God is? Today, those who have faith in Christ are the modern-day people of God. And it's really always been this way, as we learn from Romans and from Galatians. We are the descendants of Abraham because of faith. And this covenant relationship with Abraham that he enjoyed with God is the same covenant relationship that we enjoy with God today, where he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And when, not if, but when, we break covenant with God, we are reminded that it was by the grace of God that we entered into this relationship, and it is the grace of God that will see this relationship through. And understanding the grace of God gives us an incredible amount of freedom in our lives. Knowing that the consequences of our sins have all been paid for at the cross by Christ. It gives us the freedom to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. Living our lives in gratitude. God's grace doesn't turn us selfish or self-centered. Instead, we understand the grace of God. It gives us freedom to live a grateful joy-filled life in relationship with God. And the God, that God keeps his covenant with his people was great news for the Israelites in the desert. And it is great news for us today as well. Let us go before our great God in prayer. Our most gracious God, our covenant-keeping God, Our God who is faithful and true, who is gracious and merciful to us. Our God who keeps his covenant even when we have failed. Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you have shown to us. First of all, by entering into relationship with us as your people. Not based on what we have done, uh, but based simply on your grace. Father, I pray that we would understand uh, the beauty and the depth of the relationship that we have with you, that you walked through those pieces on your own, that you have suffered the consequences of our breaking the covenant with you, and I pray that that would bring us to gratitude. Uh, Lord, fill us with the joy of knowing that Christ has kept the covenant for us, suffered and died on the cross, giving uh, your son, the punishment that we deserved. And I pray that, Lord, we would share this good news with others. We give this to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude, uh, the hymn of the month that we have for January is Father Long Before Creation. And as I mentioned last week, uh, we talked about the fact that God has chosen us in love before creation. And he draws us to Christ above, and it keeps us, keeps us firmly fixed in Christ alone. This covenant that we have in God, we are kept in this covenant, not because of us,
but because of Christ and what God has done for us in Christ. So let's sing about this great love that he has for us as we stand and sing together, Father, long before creation.